this Pride, everyone's coming through for the Trevor Project on YouTube Shorts. Join us! Create a short showing how you're stepping up for Pride using the hashtag YouTubePrideChallenge. Come through for Pride on YouTube Shorts. Visit YouTube.com backslash Pride. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 92 of The Snyder Cut. I am Collider's senior film reporter, Jeff Snyder, and we've got a jam-packed show for you today. So let's dive right in. We're going to start, I guess I don't even know what the thing is, uh, Star Trek. That's where we're going to start. I was trying to come up with some Star Wars, some Infinity Beyond kind of thing. I don't even know what they say in Star Trek. Beam us up. Um, yeah, I'm not a, a Star Trek nerd. I've never really cared for this franchise. The first movie was okay, right? From Abrams and Chris Pine and Eric Bana, but those sequels were, were garbage. This is like a this is like a B or C franchise. This is not what they think that it is. I will say that. Um, and I think that the grosses do reflect that. I mean, this is never going to be like a billion dollar franchise. Like It has that aura around it, but it is... Yeah, this, it's like a 300 to $500 million grocer tops around there, I would say. It's just a niche thing, niche, you know. Anyways, Matt Shackman is coming on to direct the new movie. It seems like we've had a zillion directors for this thing, right? I think Noah Hawley was doing one at one point, and was it S.J. Clarkson and Tarantino? Oh, Tarantino's going to do the Star Trek movie. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's not going to go out on a fucking Star Trek movie. Like, that was, those stories were completely insane. Uh, Matt Shackman was going to do the Cambridge Analytica movie, which we broke uh, some news on as well. We're going to move into that story after this one, but he's a pretty solid director. Um, a lot of great TV credits. Uh, worked on WandaVision most recently. Um, so I, I think that he is actually a good fit for the franchise. I think he'll do a decent job. It would have been interesting to see a female director on this, but you know, uh, so be it. There are two female screenwriters, I believe, Lindsay Beer and uh, Geneva Robertson-Dwarf, I, I think. Um, and apparently the original cast is in talks to return, which is somewhat surprising, but also like, I, I don't think that Matt Shackman has like the power that a J.J. Abrams does or a Noah Hawley does or even like the name recognition like a Noah Hawley does. And so if you're not getting people in the theater to see like the direct, like come see Quentin Tarantino Star Trek. Believe me, if Quentin Tarantino was doing the Star Trek movie, he'd have a new cast most likely because um, he could just do what he wants. And, and Noah Hawley to an extent would likely have done the same thing but Matt Shackman doesn't really have that power it doesn't really have the name branding so I could see why they would want to bring back the original cast um you know the Chris Pine cast and all that and then plus those guys are good like that they are I would say a strength of those movies you know Chris Pine's Equinto is great as, as as Spock uh, I really liked you know, Carl Urban is Bones. I like Zoe Saldana. Like, it's a good group that they have. It sucks, you know, the Anton Yelkin of it all. It's, it's tough. Um, but yeah, Simon Pegg is fun. Like, the cast is not the problem. It's always been, to me, the scripts and, I don't know, it just, it's, it's not my cup of tea. I mean, I do see these movies. It's not like I actively, like, avoid them like the plague. Um, but I've yet to be really dazzled. I mean, that third movie was inexcusable. And I just, I think that the Star Trek slate needs to be wiped completely clean. I, I don't think that they should bring back Chris Pine. I think, don't think that they should reach back for, you know, the Chris Hemsworth cameo and, and do a story about father and son there. I don't think I need William Shatner coming back. Like, you got to get new fans. You can't, you're living, the, the series is living in the past. It's living in the past with, with, too many people and storylines and stuff like that. I think you just need someone to, to go in there and build a new machine, sort of, uh, with, with this with the same structure and, and bones. Um, so yeah, Star Trek, whatever. Anyway, so Matt Shackman had dropped out of this Cambridge Analytica movie that the Russo brothers are producing. They've had a tough time. They said that they had you know the financing, things were ready to go, and they have some pretty interesting cast. Circling this thing, um, for starters, Eddie Redmayne, 
is attached to Star as Christopher Wiley. If you're not familiar with like the Cambridge Analytica thing, they are, you know, like the data mining company that sort of, uh, you know, got involved with Facebook and everything and sort of had a hand in the Trump election. Um, so Eddie Redmayne is now circling the lead role. Peter Farrelly is in talks to direct and that was surprising to me just because I thought that Peter was kind of like gung-ho on the, the you know the, the greatest beer run ever with Zac Efron and, and Russell Crowe and maybe this is just like a development project that, that he can you know mess around with you know in between shots on that movie or something I I, I don't know I but I do think that great, greatest beer run will be next even though Cambridge Analytica um like I said, seems, seems kind of ready to go before cameras. It's definitely been kicking around for a while. Uh, you know, they haven't done any like supporting cast, but like I'm, I'm fine throwing these names out there because they've been rumored in, in either past stories or just been like loosely attached to this project for ages. But uh, it's Paul Bettany, you know, that they want. They want Elizabeth Banks and they want Will Ferrell to play Steve Bannon, which is pretty interesting. I think he'd actually do a, a really good job. Um, Will Ferrell is Steve Bannon, but, you know, a lot of that is going to depend on whether, you know, Peter actually signs on to direct and, and you know, all, all of that. But if I was Will Ferrell, I'd want to be in like an uh, Eddie Redmayne drama. Guy's got a pretty good, you know, batting average. Chicago 7 got Best Picture nomination last year, even though I didn't love it. Um bunch of other director stuff uh joe joseph kasinski doing chariot for warner brothers that was like a big auction it's based on you know not like a, a huge comic book or anything like that or graphic novel series but uh it's it's like a you know the, the there's this awesome spy and the spy has this state-of-the-art weapon that's called the chariot it's basically like a sports car but uh you know something happens and then the chariot winds up going off a pier or whatever and into the ocean and, and it takes the agent with him so the agent's dead um, and then eventually this, you know, criminal who's trying to reform himself stumbles upon this chariot, the supercar, and we go from there. You know, I, I don't know if he uses it for, for good, for evil, or whatever, but like, it seems like the, the car still has the consciousness of that, the original agent, like, linked to it. Um, so, you know, it could be like a Knight Rider as directed by Matthew Vaughn or something like that, or, or Joseph Kaczynski in this case. Joseph, Joseph Kaczynski, uh, a decent director. I didn't love Tron. I mean, visually it was stunning. I mean, the guy's clearly talented, um, but I didn't love that movie. And then what was the one he did after? Oh, no, I, I thought Oblivion was okay. You know, it wasn't great, but it was okay. Again, another visually memorable movie. And that kind of, you know, kicked off his relationship with Tom Cruise. Now he's got the whole Miles Teller trilogy. So, you know, Joseph Kaczynski directed Top Gun Maverick, which I think is going to be awesome. I think it's going to, it could even like redefine visual language for the blockbuster. Like it, it does look pretty impressive, uh, which is why I think, you know, Paramount just keeps moving it. Like that's not going out on Paramount Plus or anything. Like that is their, that's their tentpole. That is their anchor along with Mission Impossible 7. Um, Krasinski already wrapped his next movie, which is called Escape from Spiderhead. That's with Miles Teller and Chris Hemsworth. And now he's got this, uh, this other one. All right, I forgot, Only the Brave. That was, the, that was the, the Miles Teller movie that was first, which I liked. I mean, you know, a, t a tough movie to watch. I don't know that I'd go back and watch it a second time, but uh, an, an underrated firefighting drama on the whole. So uh, I think that's a smart play by Warner Brothers, getting into business with jo Joseph Krasinski. And, and, and this seems like a the kind of at least super spy story that we haven't really seen that much of where like the car is a huge part of it. Uh, Jamie Payne directing the Luther movie. Uh, I only watched like a, one or two seasons of Luther. It kind of lost me for whatever reason, even though Idris Elba is really, really good, um, you know, in, the, in that role. So he's been trying to get this movie made for like three, four, five years or something like that. It's been in development a long time. I don't know why the BBC was like hesitant to pull the trigger on this because Luther is one of their bigger properties, but maybe it was just a matter of expenses and, and you know, Idris Elba don't, don't, doesn't come cheap. Um, so from what I understand, because Luther was available on Netflix and, and the BBC and Netflix have a, a relationship due to Peaky Blinders. Um, you know, what I've been tracking for months is that Netflix had come in to, to rescue the Luther movie and that they were just like, yeah, we'll, we'll give you the money and you can do it because 
I mean, how much could a Luther movie cost? Let's say those episodes. And I'm just ballparking here. I have I know nothing about TV budgets and shit like that. But let's just say the budget of an episode of Luther was five or six million dollars. So two hour, two hour long episodes would be ten or twelve million. If I was Netflix, I'd come in uh, for 20, 25 million for the budget, you know, get some more explosions in there, some more action set pieces and stuff like that. You make a, you know, 105 minute movie and for 20, 25 million dollars to have an original Idris Elba movie seems like a good deal to me, especially with Idris, you know, starring in the Suicide Squad and George Miller's new movie. Like he's got a lot going on. It's not like his next movie is The Dark Tower, right? Which you know is kind of going to flop and, and kind of put a little stink on him. Um, yeah, the Suicide Squad, we're hearing good things. Uh, and I guess that was going to be an item, but I, so I haven't seen the movie yet. Um, uh, I think Frosty saw it last night, thought it was very, very good. I think a couple of Collider colleagues really uh, liked it. And in fact, they weren't sure whether they liked it or loved it. But, you know, the early word um, across the internet has been very, very positive. So I think that's going to bode well for Idris Elba. He's also in The, the Harder They Fall, the all-black Western that Netflix has coming up. And they've, they've been in business with this guy for a long time. You know, like he's in Beast of No Nation, which was their first big kind of movie. So I think that if Idris Elba really wanted to do this Luther movie and he's having trouble getting it made at BBC, of course, it's only natural for him to go to Netflix and be like, hey, can you guys like, you know, do, do something here? And, and, I, and I do believe that they struck a deal, um, got scooped on, on that. I think Giant giant Freaking Robot had a, a couple of things that they just decided to post this week, um, which aren't, you know, which weren't untrue. It was just like, I don't know, these, these guys actually calling anybody and confirming? I don't know. I, I think I know where they can get their information. Anyways, um, I think both stories caught both companies by surprise. Uh, and speaking of that other story, anyway, sorry, uh, before we go on, Jamie Payne directed season five of Luther. He's a, a veteran TV director, you know, Outlander, Invasion coming up on Apple. I think it makes sense to, to have some consistency, um, you know, this guy just directed the last season of the show so he's kind of like the most fresh in everyone's minds and yeah you know if, if i was jamie Payne, i'd leap at the opportunity to make a luther movie i don't think he's directed another uh narrative feature um okay so that other story was henry cavill doing the rosie project over at sony uh, there may have been some confusion whether it was sony or netflix or whatever just because you know henry has the witcher over there but it's a sony movie it always has been uh, this is a new statter and weber script um, new Saturn Weber also wrote Rosalind, that Caitlin Deaver, Isabella Merced movie we've been talking about the last few weeks, which just booked Kyle Allen from West Side Story as Romeo. Anyways, New Saturn Weber, this is another uh, romantic comedy, and it's about like a, a uh, an, an unlucky in love university professor who, who devises this questionnaire to kind of try to come up with the perfect woman. And of course, that's not going to work, bro. Like, that's not how you get a woman or meet the love of your life as a fucking questionnaire. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, some, some girl kind of comes in and, and catches him by surprise and, and he learns about what it is to love again. I'm trying to imagine Henry Cavill as a down on his luck uh, in love or an unlucky in love university professor. I don't know that I can picture him as either one as a guy who's unlucky in love or a university professor, but you know what, Henry Cavill, You've done a good job with the last few things you've been in. So uh, you've earned the benefit of the doubt, I suppose. Um, this just broke uh, this morning. Robert Downey Jr. starring in a new HBO drama series. Not a limited series, a drama series. Uh, by the way, Perry Mason was also pitched as a, as a limited series that then became a drama series. So maybe they just spared themselves the, the headache this time. Anyways, it's called The Sympathizer. It's based on, a, on a, the Pulitzer Prize winning novel. Um, and it's about like a, uh, it's like a, a, a Vietnamese man. And it, it's like a spy thriller of sorts. Um, and so Robert Downey Jr. is not going to be the star of the show. There's like a worldwide casting search for the star, but he's going to sort of uh, represent America and all the, you know, not so great things about it. I, you know, he's going to be presented as an antagonist of sorts. So he's going to be playing multiple roles one will be like a Hollywood movie director. One will be a CIA agent. One will be a, an up-and-coming California congressman. Uh, it, it, it certainly sounds interesting. And the coolest thing about this is that it's from director Park Chan-wook, uh, you know, the, the director of Old Boy and, and the whole Vengeance trilogy. And 
you know, I was just showing my, my dad and his girlfriend last night, the trailer for the little drummer girl, which I never saw on AMC, but it started to hear good things about again recently. Um, you know, it's just sort of asking people what limited series should we be watching? Um, yeah, I think it's a good move for Robert Downey Jr. You know, uh, Justin Kroll broke the story of a, a deadline and he, you know, he sort of um, said that, that Robert wanted to do it because he wanted to remind people of his range, right? I mean, everybody loves Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man in the MCU, extremely well casted as Tony Stark. And he's always been good in the role too. Like he always brings it. Um, that said, he has just sort of fallen back on those movies. Uh, I mean, whether it's those movies or Doolittle, which I didn't bother to see, it looked unwatchable. The Sherlock Holmes franchise, which should be dead and buried. I mean, the first film was okay. The second film was garbage. I would not proceed with that franchise if I was Warner Brothers, which is probably why they haven't done it. Um, yeah, like he's just, he's been playing fucking Robert Downey Jr. for like the last decade. So yeah, I want to see him like, this guy was so fucking talented. He was like, he's like Johnny Depp. I mean, the two of them were just so great in the 90s. Robert Downey Jr., whether it's Chaplin or like even stuff like Natural Born Killer, some even like the James Toback movies that he made, he was really, really good in. And he's just been doing these fucking blockbusters for way too long. He's like lost himself. I mean, at one point he was going to play Perry Mason. I think he wisely gave that role to Matthew Reese, but I want to see this guy act again. I want to see him remind us all of how talented he is. And, you know, this multiple role deal with a sympathizer sounds like it could be a really good one. Uh, Cedric the Entertainer hosting the Emmys. What year is this? Like, I don't have a problem with Cedric the Entertainer. I like him just fine. But, like, I mean, what? Seriously. It's 2021. Cedric Entertainer should have been hosting the Emmys 10 or 15 years ago. Um, plus, I mean, is it just that ratings are in the shithouse and nobody wants to be affiliated with that? Like, did nobody just want this gig? I mean, is Cedric the Entertainer even relevant on television these days? I, I don't keep, I can't keep track. Maybe he has a show or something. Um, the last thing that I saw him in, in which he was actually really good, I actually liked him in... Um, that stand-up movie last year with, with Jimmy O. Yang. I'm totally blanking on the fucking name of it. The opening act. And he was great in top five. Like, again, I have no problem with Cedric the Entertainer. I just, I, I'm trying to, like, picture, like, a marketing campaign for the Emmys, like, starring him. And, I, and it's tough. It's tough. Uh, the Emmys, by the way, released their nominations this week. I, I didn't even put that in the breakdown to the show. I didn't, I, it's like, I didn't care whatsoever about the Emmy nominations. I barely paid attention to them. There are so many categories like every there's a category for every little fucking thing and there's like seven or eight nominees in the category i mean i know that there's a lot more tv shows than movies or i mean for the most part i i would assume um generally speaking but like we don't need seven or eight nominees i i, I really like ted lasso ted lasso is fantastic i even I'm, you know, I'm, I'm watching season two now, but I, I introduced the show to my dad and his girlfriend last night. Uh, they started watching season one. And again, a lovely show makes you feel good, but like five actors have supporting actor nominations for that show, five? They were all really good. I'm not arguing with any of them, but like f five? Are there no other comedies on television? Like what is going on? Um. Yeah, the Emmys are, I mean, it's a total fucking joke. Come on, right? And some of the shows that get nominated and, I mean, I know it's, it's tough to have consensus. People watch TV for different reasons. Some just do it for to escape. Some, you know, think it's where the best stories are being told these days. I mean, I, I was thrilled for, 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 you know, Mayor of Easttown and a bunch of shows that I like. I watch a lot of television. I know I'm a, I call myself a film reporter, but I, I do straddle the line between film and TV. And I watch a ton of television. It's just not prestige TV. I don't watch Handmaid's Tale. I don't watch Mrs. Maisel or Bridgerton or The Crown or Succession or Billions. Or, you know, I don't watch, I guess, popular television. I, I don't know what I would call my taste. I don't think that I watch like weird indie TV. I think I'm just watching the stuff that falls between the cracks for most people. Uh, so yeah, Emmy nominations, it's just, it's just an unwieldy show. They need to pare it down, fewer nominees, just everything about it. And, and not to mention, 
God, I, I love this. Like with the tallies and everything and how, what was it? I think HBO with HBO Max got one more nomination than Netflix, you know, which doesn't have another sister streamer or whatever it is. Um, it was just so funny that that whole, you know, counting the tally thing and who, because I, I guess that there is some value in being able to say the most Emmy nominations of any network this year or whatever it is. But now it's platforms. It's not networks, it's platforms because don't even get me started. It's, it's just so ridiculous. And, and that is what I'm talking about. Like when you really see this is this whole town is just a pissing match. It's just a dick measuring contest 12 months a year. And they will just find different ways to measure the dicks. I, I'm telling you. And like, yeah, I mean, Jennifer Salky did an interview with, uh, you know, on behalf of Amazon and it was just, I'm just reading it like, what? Well, this is so sad. <laughs> uh, you know, they got the nominations for, for Underground Railroad, nothing for Small Axe. This is like one of these shows that like got caught in no man's land where they're like, it should have been up for Oscars. Everyone thought, it, you know, Mangrove would even get a Best Picture nomination. It wasn't my personal favorite. I liked Red, White, and Blue with John Boyega. But um, they're like, no, 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 this is a TV show. And then, of course, you know, to the TV voters, they're like, these are movies. You know, these were on like top 10 lists of movies last year. Obviously the line is blurring. It's tough to distinguish what is what these days, but it's, it, we, we are definitely going to get some funny situations uh, out of this awards insanity. Speaking of which, uh, I don't have the article in front of me. It was behind a paywall, but I did manage to read it. It was the LA Times recent piece on like the HFPA controversy. This group is done. Stick a fucking fork in this group. It is done. You want another award show? Go create the fucking, I don't know, the platinum platform. It's like the Golden Globes as we know it is done. And I'm not saying the HFA, HFPA has to disband. Let them be a group of international voters who give out awards to whatever the fuck they want every year. But why does it need to be on television? And why does the media need to give it such, you know, coverage and power and that kind of thing? Like it doesn't, we can just take it away. Like that's the funniest thing to me about all of this. Like I know the media is supposed to report on what's going on, but we also are able to make choices. Like what if the media just banded together and said, you know what? You can air the Golden Globes on NBC all you want. We're not going to cover them. I would love, if I was in charge of site as EIC, I might do that very thing and just be like, you know what? Your whole show is trash. It's, bu it's bullshit anyways. It's fake. So why am I working up like, you know, all this Golden Globes coverage? It's, it's, it's nonsense. And the people in this group may legitimately be insane, whether it's the people who are resisting the change, like, and on the record resisting it too. I, and I even understand when some people, there are saying, let's not get at it. You know, let's not get carried away. Let's not become overly woke. But it's like, you guys put this, put yourselves in this situation. I know Hollywood tried to play the game and, and, and they enabled you and, and now they're playing the blame game. And that's not cool either. I, I agree that like those 200 publicists probably like overstepping a bit. And, and they are, you know, it does have real world consequences, which are always forgotten. Like that these journalists, whether it's the HFPA or me, I mean, a lot of journalists live paycheck to paycheck. Like, you know, and I think that that gets lost because you're in this ecosystem, right? In Hollywood where people, maybe they don't work one year, they take a year off, they take six months off, whatever it is, you know, actors are working sporadically, everybody's on retainer a month at a time, that kind of thing. Like, but they, but they all are rich. They're all filthy fucking rich. And I don't really realize what it means to be a journalist when, you know, your work just gets taken away from you. And all of a sudden you can't pay the fucking rent. Um, so I sympathize with the HFPA journalists who, who cannot sell stories to, you know, their respective papers and outlets in, the, in their home countries because they're not getting access to talent. Um, that is kind of fucked up. And, and, and I think that that needs to change that, that they should have the access to talent while they work these things out because they seem to be doing it in, in good, their good faith efforts. Of course, the group is totally splintered because some people want, you know, a ton of change and some people want a little change. Some people don't want any change, but it's like, if you can't get on the same page and realize that if you don't do something now, you ain't going to be around next year either. Like 
then you're just, you know, you deserve sort of what you get. You deserve your fate. Again, personally, I think that they're done. I don't think I need to watch the Golden Globes anymore. I don't think people were watching anyways. It was nice to have one night a year where like film and television gets, you know, everybody gets in the same room. Um, the Golden Globes are a blast. You know, I, I love Globes night, but at the same time, it's, it's, not a, it's not a necessity. I mean, it feels like the Emmys and the Oscars, those are, you know, the pinnacle awards in their respective, you know, fields, film, television, whatever. And um, I, I, it's just unnecessary. We don't need a, a third major show in the Golden Globes, especially if this group can't get its shit together uh, and, and invite people of color. And again, I don't know why the people of color, like, you know, black journalists who are going to be heavily recruited for this organization, I don't know why they would want to join. They can go start their own thing. Like, what does it matter being in the, in the Golden Globes, especially if you're not going to get all the perks that they were getting before, where you're getting trips to France and, and you're getting your ass kissed and all the selfies with the stars and all these nice meals and gifts and if you're not even getting that shit, well, like, who cares? Um, remember, guys, I don't vote for anything. I am happy to not be part of the critics group. I can't even, like, as much as part of me maybe would love to be in the L.A. Film Critics Group or, or even just for a year to see what, like, the ceremony is like and the voting process is like, the idea of getting in a room with everyone on film Twitter and everyone's just arguing all day and the picks are just uber pretentious. I would go fucking insane. I'm sure I'd even ruin what little reputation I have left. Uh, in, in that room because I would be like <laughs> you don't even want to know what I would be like in that room when they're trying to hand out fucking awards to people who are just frankly quite undeserving um, I'm not just talking about the LA film critics I'm talking about film critics groups in general film, LA film critics actually have pretty good taste most of the time um, all right Pierce Brosnan and Adam Devine uh, joining forces on The Outlaws. Yeah, you know what that's going to be. John Wick 4 added Marco Zoror. Okay, when are we getting my, when are we getting my Bill Skarsgård confirmation? Hmm. Uh, okay, these, well, I'll come back to those. Hold on. Netflix nabbed Windfall, Charlie McDowell's movie starring Jason Segel, Lily Collins, and Jesse Plemons. I, you know, this didn't ring a bell for me. So I didn't know if it was like they, that those three are going to star in this movie that hasn't shot yet, but it has been shot. It's finished. It's in the can and, and Netflix has acquired it. I'm looking forward to that Hitchcockian thriller. I do like that cast. Uh, Javier Bardem to star in a Lyle Lyle Crocodile movie. Sure. Uh, Rod Lurie directing a movie about the Malaysian 1MVB financial scandal and uh, the journalist who broke it, Claire Newcastle Brown. Um, that's a, a, a fascinating story. I did not read the book uh, about, what is it, like Joe Lowe or Jai Lowe or something like that. Um, but like, you know, that scandal had international repercussions. It touched Hollywood. You know, it was all like about the, the Red Granite, Wolf of Wall Street guys and shit. Touched DiCaprio. I think he had to like give back some gifts and stuff. Like, it is a crazy movie. And I really like Rod Lurie as a director. He's very, very thoughtful. Really like The Outpost last year. Uh, thumbs up for that project. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And, and Claire Brown is, sounds like a great role for, for a young actress. You know, who, you know who I would go after? I, I think Jesse Buckley would, would be pretty interesting in that. The Alchemist, Apollo Coelho novel is finally gone before cameras. Kevin Frakes, my buddy, is directing uh, with Tom Hollander, Sebastian D'Souza, and Shora Agdashlu starring. That's interesting. Uh, Wes Took? Wes Tookie? West Duke, writing the Thomas Crown Affair for uh, Michael, ba uh, Michael B. Jordan. Um, that sounds interesting. You know, like I, I'm, I'm down to check that out. I was never like the kind of guy who thought that Pierce Brosnan, uh, Thomas Crown Affair was like all that. I know that movie really does have its fans, but I'm totally down for like a black reinvention of that whole thing. Uh, Jeff Daniels narrating Apple's 9-11 documentary. I only bring that up so I can mention The Looming Tower, which, uh, you know, my, my dad and his girlfriend just finished. Like, that was the last limited series that I recommended. Now we're trying to get them a new one. Uh, but, like, you know, 9-11's coming up in two months, basically. Less than two months. Uh, it'll be the 20th anniversary of that tragic day. So I think we're going to get a lot of 9-11 specials and that kind of stuff. But, like, to me, The Looming Tower really was like the best out of all of them. I, I thought it was a fantastic 
show. It's kind of been forgotten on, on Hulu. Um, or, or, you know, you know, people don't talk about that among like the great limited series, but uh, I, I think it is. I think, it, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And, and I know that they really, really liked it. Um, Showtime picked up a Vanessa Bayer, Molly Shannon show. I love this for you. The interesting thing on that one is that Sybil Shepherd will not be along for the ride. Uh, now, the, you know, what happened there? Either Sybil Shepherd was not a good fit for the role and they were like, all right, we need to go younger with this. We need to go, you know, diverse with this role, whatever it is, because that, that would have been like three white ladies atop the show. So it's either that. It's either Sybil Shepherd got on set, did the pilot, and was like, this is not for me. This is not the show that I thought it was. I don't like the character. I'm out. Or, and I hope that this isn't the case, I'm going to knock on wood, but I have to put it out there as a possibility. Could Sybil Shepherd be sick? You know, uh, there, there's a lot of times, particularly right now with the COVID of it all, it's like maybe she shot the pilot. I don't even know. It could have been a long time ago. And then, and then she's like, you know what? I don't really want to be back on set around a lot of people, whether she's sick or trying to avoid illness. I, I should put that. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think we're ever going to find out why Sybil left the show or what happened there, but I, I did think it was interesting because... I was looking forward to seeing her um, on that show. I remember that announcement. Joey King, the great Joey King, signed a first look deal with Netflix. Um, you know, she stars in, in the Kissing Booth franchise. Kissing Booth 3 is on its way. Um, but the real reason I wrote this up is because Joey King is about to blow up next year with Bullet Train in a, in a big way. Um, I'm, I'm almost done with Bullet Train. I got 90 pages left. I'm going to finish it up over the next few days. It's fucking good. And Joey King has a pretty badass role, and I can't wait to see how she plays it. Um, so, yeah, I think it's cool that she's going to be, like, developing and producing stuff for, for Netflix. That's awesome. Apple, meanwhile, signed a first deal with Adam McKay. Now, I thought that was interesting because Adam McKay's next movie, Don't Look Up, is at Netflix. So it's like if you're Netflix and you like this movie that you're seeing – why wouldn't you offer that that deal to Adam McKay? Um, maybe they're just getting out of the, the deals type of business. Maybe it would have been too expensive for them. Um, or maybe they're just like me and they don't really like Adam McKay's stuff. I mean, like I hated Vice. I didn't love the big short. Uh, I, at least I didn't think it should have been like a, a zillion Oscar nominee. Um, so maybe they're just looking at those two movies like, you know what, we're, we're happy to, to, to work with this guy on a movie-by-movie movie basis, but do I need a first-look deal with him? Eh, not particularly. Again, I don't know. Maybe they, did, maybe they you know, wanted the first-look deal and Apple just like shelled out a ton of money for him. I, I don't know. I, mean, I assume it, the, the signing was competitive there, but eh, Adam McKay. I'm, I'm, I'm mixed on him overall, I would say. I am really looking forward to the Lakers series. I, I will give you that, Adam McKay. That sounds fascinating. I love the cast you put together. And that's over at HBO. So the guy's, the guy's touching all the bases. I'm surprised HBO didn't offer him a first look deal. But I guess it was for movies at Apple. And, and that may have been, uh, you know, the deal. Maybe Netflix wanted him, you know, for television. Maybe I don't even know where he has his TV deal. Uh, Peacemaker directors. This was a, a, a scoop that, that we thought that we had, but I guess it had already sort of been put out there uh, piecemeal by, by the Ronin. So, you know, props to them on these scoops. But, you know, James Gunn, I think, was talking to Frosty and had told him, yeah, I did five of the eight Peacemaker episodes. And Jody Hill had done one, which, you know, he'd already sort of talked about on Instagram. The other two directors were Brad Anderson and, uh, and Rosemary Rodriguez, a veteran TV helmet right there. Um, so a nice little lineup of, of directors for Peacemaker. And we, we just don't know when the show is going to be set because I don't know the fate of John Cena's character in Suicide Squad, whether he lives or dies. Um, and frankly, you know, like I was wondering, you know, with the Idris Elba of it all this week, like, because I, I saw it alluded that, that Gunn was going to be potentially developing like multiple Suicide Squad spin-offs, not just one on Peacemaker. I was surprised we hadn't heard more about Idris Elba and his character, like whether he's going to get his own show or, or maybe he ends up biting the dust. I, I, I don't know. The, the thing about James Gunn is that I, I do believe him when he says like anyone's head could explode at any time in this movie. Um, all right, let me back up here. There's some two, two interesting stories about two of, two of uh, you know, the most talented late actors but I wanted to, to mention them both. So there was a story that came out this week that James Gandolfini was offered $4 million 
to take over, uh, you know, the lead on the office, basically, once um, Steve Carell left as Michael Scott. So this would have been before James Spader's Robert California. And I don't know if, if James Gandolfini would have played Robert California or like a different character, you know, like they would have tailored something to him and in, in his sense of humor. I actually could have seen James Gandolfini as Charles Minor, as Idris Elba's character, to bring this conversation full circle. But uh, Gandolfini, you know, I don't know whether it was... Because I, I do think he has he had like a good sense of humor, Jim. I think he would have been pretty good on The Office, even though my dad was like, I, I, I can't, can't imagine that. Like, I, I actually could. Uh, but So he was developing the night of the John Turturro show, um, you know, leading up to his death. I don't know if HBO just really wanted to market that as like James Gandolfini's follow-up to The Sopranos or what the deal was, but they were so protective of him. They, so, they just did not want him doing you know, this big show, you know, maybe they felt he was HBO talent. They didn't want him top line in this NBC show. And so they gave him $3 million not to do it. Can you imagine that getting paid $3 million to not do something and sit and just sit on your ass and wait for us to be ready on the night of, um, that that's a wild story. Would have been fun to see James Gandolfini on the office, but, uh, I think everything probably worked out the way that it, it should have. Um, Meanwhile, Chadwick Boseman, this was an interesting one. I, I didn't know. I guess this has been out there here and there, but it had never really been picked up anywhere until I saw it in, in a Ringer story this week that Chadwick Boseman had agreed to star in an L.A. Confidential sequel prior to his death. I don't know if this was, you know, right before he died or if it was like way, way back when he was making 42 with Brian Helgeland and the project just never got off the ground for whatever reason. You know, because I imagine Chadwick was busy with, with Black Panther and the MCU stuff. But, uh, you know... Brian Helgeland did 42. That was sort of Chadwick's big coming out party as Jackie Robinson. Maybe Chadwick felt like Yoda, maybe just wanted to be a part of like a, a sequel to a great movie, LA Confidential. I mean, that's, that's a great script from Brian Helgeland right there, directed by Curtis Hansen. Um, but yeah, a, a fun sort of thing to think about that, that Chadwick might've starred in like an LA war movie. Um, all right, let's see. We got so many reviews to do too. Uh, Chris Maloney made a little short film with Brian Taylor, the co-director of Crank, and they're selling it as an NFT. We have the story up on Collider.com. You can check that out. Confess Fletch. We we added a or we Collider broke a, some news about some some cast additions. Annie Mumolo from Barb and Star, Lorenza Izzo from Knock Knock, and Aiden Mayeri, who was in that uh, Vanessa Bear Molly Shannon show on Showtime. Zach Efron today left CAA for WME. Apparently, he also left his management at Alchemy Entertainment, Jason Barrett. Uh, he's had the same team basically since I have been doing this job. So, like, you know, early 2000s, high school musical days. And I got to say, it was the right move. Right move. He needs a clean start, Zach Efron. He needs just new branding, new everything. Um, because he is talented, and he's, I think he's a very good-looking guy. He's had too much plastic surgery and whatnot. Um, but there, there is something there. And he needs to find the right agents to, to harness that and, and to get him the, the best scripts and meetings and all that stuff. You know, he, he had gone over and started doing, you know, non-scripted stuff. He had the Quibi show, Killing Zac Efron, that never aired. He had a travel show, like, and I'm sure, you know, maybe he needed that to like, just go out into the jungle and, and, be alone with a small crew and kind of lose his mind or, you know, have some fun on vacation or whatever. But it, it sent the wrong message to the town. Like, is this, is this guy a movie star? Or is he doing fucking travelogues here? Like, what's the deal? Uh, so, so I think that Zac Efron needed to do what he did today. He, he gets a clean slate with fresh reps who get to, you know, they don't have to think of him as the kid from high school musical. Like, they can, they can have a little bit of fun with his image. He did wrap the Firestarter movie for Blumhouse that I'm looking forward to. Um, but I, I am rooting for Zac Efron. I always kind of have been. And I hope that this change and, you know, fresh start benefits him. Uh, over the weekend, I posted a story about the five directions to take the Fear Street franchise next. I think I teased it on last week's podcast. Uh, but give it a read because I, I, I worked hard on it. And um, I think I thought it was pretty smart direction. So... You know, what were the five things? It's the cheerleaders movies, the evil cheerleaders franchise that, that uh, is a super chiller thing that Arl Stein did. There's like four or five books in that franchise. That could be its own thing. You can even do a series out of it. 
um, the babysitter books, which were my favorite growing up. Yeah, they kind of ran off the rails, but those first two babysitter books were really, really good. And I think the babysitter is the best thing Arlstein has ever done, personally, that first book. You know, I, I, I looked at all these Fear Street books and I, and I saw certain themes and settings and, and things like that in them. And I think that you need to do, you know, a, a, a snowbound movie and a beach movie. Those are, those are two different movies. Um, but there were just several books set at the beach or, you know, about lifeguards and, and a couple of books set at ski resorts and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, why not just combine them? I mean, because these books are like 150, 180 pages. There's not quite enough there uh, to, to make a full movie. Um, but yeah, I think it, if you if you took things from this book and things from that book, you could actually wind up with a pretty good, you know, horror movie or horror franchise. And then the fifth one was like, oh, it was about holidays, right? It was like, because there's books about Valentine's Day and Halloween and New Year's Eve. And it's just like, have fun with the whole R.L. Stein holiday movie. Um, likely probably set around Christmas. You know, he has those silent night books that would make a great sort of foundation for, for a holiday franchise. Um, okay, I watched a ton of fucking movies this week. I don't know what is embargoed, what is not. I'm just fucking laying it out there this week because I don't know if there'll be an episode. Um, I'm going back to LA. Well, I'm going back to LA next week. Going back to LA, I'm staying with a friend. Uh, you know, while I do my own apartment hunt, it's not going to get, you know, carried away or anything like that. I want to find a place quickly, but I just don't know, you know, given the chaos of next week, if there will end up being a podcast or not, I will keep you posted and I will do my best to record one. But so let's just knock out a bunch of reviews. We've got about 15 minutes left in the show. Joe Bell, Mark Wahlberg. I thought it was good. Um, I didn't think that like he was amazing or anything. I kind of had higher hopes for Mark Wahlberg in that movie, but um, I, I liked what it was all about. Um, I think it's important to know the twist going in. I, I don't understand the way that the movie is kind of structured. I, I might've been a little bit upfront, uh, more upfront about its intentions. Reed Miller was good. Like if I had more time, if I wasn't planning a move and saying goodbye to my family and, you know, I, I got a few other, you know, long-term assignments on my plate, I probably would have reached out to Reed Miller for an up and, up and comer of the month piece. Cause he, he, you know, so a heartfelt performance from him. It felt, felt like he, you know, had, had maybe experienced some, you know, homophobia or whatever in, in, in his own life. Cause you could really see the pain behind this kid's eyes. Uh, I watched Surge last night, this Ben Wishaw movie that's been around for like a year. I think it debuted at Sundance 2020. That was okay. You know, he, he was um, a pretty compelling force. And, and I love the actress who played his mother uh, you know, the movie didn't really build too, too much. Um, but it was kind of couldn't take my eyes off of it. It's a very like jittery performance. The, the camera works kind of all over the place, but, uh, there, there was something that, yeah, I just kind of could not stop watching. The Anthony Bourdain documentary Roadrunner was good. I would definitely recommend that. Uh, it, a little long, it's like a full two hours, like probably could have cut 15, 20 minutes out pretty easily. There's, there's maybe too much of, you know, him and, and the, the show and eating and people talking about, it. I don't know, like, but the, the last third is really good once it gets into the uh, uh, Argento stuff. Um, and just, you know, I felt a, I've never met the guy. I never really watched any of his shows, but like I, I felt a kinship with Anthony Bourdain. Um, guy was just a searcher and he, and he never really found what he was searching for. And there was just like this sadness that he was hiding and, and this darkness um, that I think he covered up with a sense of humor. And, uh, you know, anyways, it was, it was a good movie. Good movie. Uh, Tomorrow war I watched. Um, the Tomorrow war was a guilty pleasure. It was a good, bad movie. Uh, I, I think I had talked about it last week and I'd watched 20 minutes and, and turned it off, but I was convinced to go back and finish and, and give it another chance. And yeah, you know what? It was better than Mortal Kombat and Fast 9 and Godzilla vs. Kong. You know, if you put that up against blockbusters, it, it probably comes out kind of on top. Like it just, I think it knew how goofy it was. and But yet there was like an earnestness to it. I don't know. Well, it really wasn't bad. It was just too long. Two hours and 20 minutes. Not for that story. 
Uh, Werewolves Within, not getting the, the love for this movie. Nope, that's a, this is another Sam Richardson one. I know it's been a big week for him. I'm just not a fan of this director. He did scare me uh, a year or two ago, which was like my least favorite movie of the year. Um, the, the, the comedy, it's just like, it wasn't scary enough to be a horror movie. It wasn't funny enough to be a comedy. And so you're in sort of, you know, no man's land there. Um, but yeah, the, the comedy was just like, everyone was doing their own thing. Everyone was on their own page. Michaela Watkins, it was just obnoxious. Not, not a fan. Die in a gunfight, not really a fan of that one either. Uh, I don't know if that's under embargo. Forgive me if, if I'm breaking it. I mean, whether I talk about it today or next week, who really gives a shit? Um, yeah, I mean, just not not good. What, what do you want me to say? Some fun you know, style points and, 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 you know, a decent soundtrack and stuff. And it wasn't, actually wasn't as bad as I was expecting, but at the same time, that was like this hailed script. Like those guys, I think got like Ant-Man off of it or Ant-Man 2, one of those. Um, and I just never, never really clicked for me. Die in a gunfight, unfortunately. Gunpowder Milkshake was like, like, the same kind of kinetic energy and style as Dying a Gunfight, but it was better. You know, it was just a bigger budget, bigger stars. Uh, not a great movie by any stretch of the imagination, Gunpowder Milkshake, but I had fun with it. It, it had some fun action set pieces, however ridiculous they may be. Um, worth a watch on Netflix. Again, this is a movie that feels like a, 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 a free bonus, you know, to your monthly subscription. You're not there for Gunpowder Milkshake, but if it is there, you might as well give it a look, right? Fear Street 66 is also streaming on Netflix or will be tomorrow, tonight, whatever. Um, a, 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 a fitting conclusion to this trilogy. I, I think it was the second best. Again, I, I went two, three, one with two getting three stars, three getting two and a half stars and number one getting two stars. Uh, the thing about 1666 that I liked, I mean, for, you know, I didn't love The Witch. I think it's tough to make a horror movie set in like really olden days where everybody talks really, you know, old fashioned and shit like that. But, you know, it held my attention. And when it started to, you know, lose that attention, then it goes back to 1994. So spoiler. And, and it's not really a spoiler because this has been alluded to in Netflix's own like press materials and, and stuff like that. Cause I knew about it going in, um, you know, and not from like the source or anything. But yeah, like this movie doubles back to where it begins in 1994. And I really like that creative decision. Uh, to, you know, it, it had certain loose ends that it had to wrap up. Again, credit to Lee Janiak. She, she did a good job. Um, even though that first movie, I think, left some room for improvement. She found, she found the through line in, in, the, in these last two movies. And, and overall, again, a, a successful experiment by her and Netflix and, and Churn Entertainment. The Boy Behind the Door, I, else I can, no, the word, that was reviewed. People talked about that when I was at festivals. I thought it was okay. Didn't think it was, you know, anything special, but, you know, as far as like Shudder originals go or, you know, Shudder movies, sure, it was worth, it was worth a look. The two kids held my attention. I just wanted to like, better villain. Oh, excuse me. Uh, I watched Pig. Uh, and stay tuned for an interview that I have going up with, with someone involved in Pig. Um, I liked Pig. I didn't love Pig. I'm not doing cartwheels like a lot of other critics are, but it was good. And it was good because it just had heart. It was, um, I mean, plus all three of the leads. Like, I, I love the tone and the atmosphere. And all three leads are really good. Nick Cage is, is great. It's, it's as good as he's been in a long time. Alex Wolf impressed me. Adam Arkin was really good. And so, and it just has a very um, confident, like, sense of, of place. You know, like, it's set up in Portland and in the, in the culinary community there and in the wilderness. And, and, it, and it's gorgeously shot. Um, so, yeah, definitely recommend Pig. It is not the, the Nicolas Cage movie that you are likely expecting. Uh, the movie that I really wanted to talk about though this week, I saved it for last, was Nine Days, which was a big Sundance sensation. You know, Edson Otis film with Winston Duke and Zazie Beetz. 
picked up by Sony Classics, was held for a year because it was deemed to be a, a, a major awards contender. But, you know, going back and looking at the buzz, um, you know, following its Sundance debut, debut it was very polarizing. You either love or hate this movie. I kind of hated it. I was just, I do not get the buzz on this at all. The, I mean, I, I was tired when I watched, and I watched it a reasonable hour. I watched it like, you know, 9 to 11 or 8 to 10 or something with a friend. And it was hot in the room that I watched. So I was like a little sleepy. I was like dozing off or whatever, like, you know, um, but I, I stayed with it. I was up. This counts as a fucking review. Uh, and it was just not good. Like, it was, it's a weird movie, first of all. It's about five souls competing to be born. Like, I think it might work better as a play. Um, and I think that there are good, th- like, it, there is some potential here. Like, Edson Oda, as a screenwriter, introduces some really interesting ideas. And as a director, does a good job pulling them off. But on the whole, no, this movie did not work for me whatsoever. Uh, and the end was ridiculous. I thought the last like 15 minutes of this movie were horrible. I couldn't even believe like what the fuck was going on and what I was watching. Um, so a, a swing and a miss to me. I do not see this having any sort of awards profile this year, but I'm like, you know, on a different page with awards than, than most people this year. Like that movie mass, no, give me a break. Four people in a church basement talking about a school shooting. You think people are going to be eager to pop that screener in? If it was, you know, the cast of, uh, what was that Roman Polanski movie with Christoph Waltz and, and Kate Winslet and everybody, like, and John C. Riley, I forget what the fucking title was. But, like, if it was that cast, maybe. This cast, as talented as everybody is, Jason Isaacs and, and like, Ann Dowd, that's not going anywhere, I'm sorry. Mar- Martha Plimpton is not getting a fucking Oscar nomination for a movie directed by Fran Kranz. You know, and, and I hate being that guy who's like the, the, the shitty, like rain on the parade guy. But like, I'm trying to save what company is putting that out. Was I don't even know who bought Mass IFC or somebody, whoever bought it, I'm trying to save you money. You may be obligated to spend the money contractually because, you know, you, you had to mount an awards campaign, you know, under the terms of the deal when you signed it. But like, I'm promising you, do not get carried away with that spend because Mass, I don't see going anywhere. Maybe an original screenplay nomination. Maybe. And that's a stretch. Guts, let me, let me, let me just check the, the breaking news here real quick. Murray Bartlett from The White Lotus just joined The Last of Us along with Jeffrey Pierce and Con O'Neill. Really liked Murray Bartlett on that show. I thought he was fantastic. Um, Ian McKellen returning and, and John McFour. Listen, they're all fucking confirmed. They're all coming back. What do you want from me? I, I love how these, like, Jesus Christ, never mind. Uh, Gael Garcia right now would be cool playing Star Wars Wanted to use. No. Okay. So Gar- Gael Garcia Bernal wants to play the villain in Andor opposite Diego Luna. Okay. Great. What is this? I got it. One second, guys. I'm all, we're almost there. We're coming down the home stretch. Bear with me. I gotta, I gotta check messages. Can't just disappear in the middle of taping the show. Okay, got that. Bunch of trailers came out this week. Um, we're gonna save the best for last again. Uh, again, I don't know what I talked about last week or not, but Sweet Girl, the Jason Momoa movie, that I thought it was a pretty good trailer that Netflix cut. That's him and Isabella Merced, and he's like the you know dad has to protect uh, his little girl. Um, listen, he's just a fucking badass, Jason Momoa. Uh, so yeah, I'm down to check that out. Pray Away, this is a movie, I believe, from Jason Blum and Ryan Murphy, who previously did A Normal Heart, and it's about, you know, the, the gay conversion um, therapy programs and just how totally fucked up they are. It's a very much like a, a boy race movie, except this is the documentary version. Uh, the Surge trailer I told you I liked, uh, and I liked the movie. Habit, there was a trailer this week with Bella Thorne as a nun with a gun. Or, she, you know, she's a, a drug dealer posing as a nun. I mean, I actually like Bella Thorne. She's always really sweet to me, or, or was when I uh, used to interview her for the rap. Um, uh, but yeah, like, that looked like just B-movie trash garbage. 
Um, Flea and CryptoZoo, those are the animated movies out of Sundance. Flea won the, uh, this is F-L-E-E, not F-L-E-A, like the insect. Um, it's about a gay refugee, uh, you know, fleeing Afghanistan, like, you know, re revisiting his, his past and, and, you know, the secret that he's had to hide. It won the grand jury prize at Sundance. And, uh, I'm very much looking forward to that one. Neon picked it up, I believe. It's supposed to be very, very powerful and very moving. Crypto Zoo is Dash Shah's new animate, animated, animated, animated adventure. Uh, and I like that. I saw that, you know, at, at, as part of virtual Sundance and, the, you know, the animation is absolutely stunning. It's gorgeous. Uh, and just like a weird kind of interesting story about mythical creatures and animals. And, you know, you guys know me, I'm not a huge animation guy, but uh, I recommend that. And I can't wait to see Flea, which reminded me very much of Waltz with Bashir, which is a masterpiece, Persepolis, which is good. Um, and, uh, and, and Tower, which was also really good. So maybe I just like that style, like the animated documentary style. I don't know if I mentioned the North Water last week. That's the AMC Plus uh, series with Jack O'Connell and Colin Farrell and Stephen Graham. And I think Hollywood Reporter reviewed that this week and said it was just like brutal. Like, you know, like not, not the greatest show, but like it has a real intensity and, and, and it's directed beautifully. I think it's the, the, the show shot as far north as anyone has ever shot before. Um, and it looked good. I just don't have AMC Plus. I, I gotta get on their like press list or something. I gotta get a hold of those screeners. That and like Gangs of London. I'm missing out on AMC Plus stuff and I'm not okay with it. Uh, and for the, all right, John, John in the Hole released a trailer today. I did not care for that movie. That was at Sundance. That's about a boy who like fucking knocks out his family, uh, drugs his family and sticks him in a hole and like leaves him there for a week so he can figure, realize what it's like to be an adult. Uh, let me tell you something. It sucks. Um, the, the trailer that I want to talk about this week is Blue Bayou from Justin Sean. I thought it looked fantastic. I think that to me looks like the first real like awards contender of the year. It's Justin Sean and Alicia Vikander. And it, it looked to me like Alicia Vikander runs into her ex-boyfriend or ex-lover, ex-husband or something at a grocery store. And, you know, he wants to talk to her and she won't. So she walks away with her kid and Justin Chan is her new boyfriend or man. And he's walking with her and the police say stop. And he doesn't stop. And it's like, you know, they don't have any probable cause to stop him. He hasn't done anything wrong naturally. He's just in a grocery store, but you know, if the police officer says stop and you don't stop it could get physical and it does. And then they fight and now you're, you know, resisting arrest. And so, okay, then he gets arrested and maybe it's a minor thing, but now they're checking his, who, who this guy is and his paperwork. And it's like, Oh, he's not legal. He's going to get deported. Ice, you know, is coming. So then he goes to the lawyer and the lawyer's like, well, I normally charge $5,000. And they're like, well, we can't afford $5,000. And so he has to go, you know, back into a life of crime or, or to run, you know, pull off some kind of robbery. I thought it looks fucking great. Um, love the style, love the, the music that's used in the trailer. So if you haven't seen the Blue Bayou trailer, absolutely check that one out. That was the highlight of the week. All right, we're gonna get to uh, Mailbag. And then we're gonna wrap up this show. Slappy White, Instagram me. Slappy, make sure that you, that you send an email because I'm not always gonna get it off of Instagram. He said, why aren't more people furious about Disney Plus's decision to place certain movies behind a paywall on a streaming service people already have to pay for. Imagine if Netflix cherry picked certain movies and said, we think these movies are more valuable and customers should have to pay extra for them. No one would put up with that. There would be such a backlash against Netflix if they did that. The general public doesn't care if certain movies were earmarked for theatrical release. They just want movies to them on the streaming service they paid for. What are your thoughts? I think it's complicated. Because you gotta keep in mind, Slappy, that those movies like Black Widow wasn't made with Disney Plus in mind. Disney Plus did not exist, right? So the financials don't work. You can't just put that out on Disney Plus for free because you're not like, yeah, you're getting all the monthly subscriptions from everybody and that's like a lot of money, but you can't say, you know, that that makes up for the Black Widow spend. I mean, not just like the, let's say it was 150, $160 million budget, but also probably another 150 in marketing. Plus they've had to, you know, do this marketing campaign for the last fucking year plus. So, you know, they had a lot of costs on this. And, okay, but just like forget that. Forget the, the pandemic delay and everything. 
if you're going to spend that kind of money on a movie, you, you have to make that money back somehow. So I don't think it's wrong to charge people for, for stuff like that, that you know that people are going to be willing to pay for. You may not be willing to. And after a window of some time, let's say it's 90 days. After 90 days, you can probably watch that movie on Netflix for free or on Disney Plus for free. You know, but the windows are in, we're in place for a reason. They have to be respected because uh, it's just it's the waterfall. You know, that's everything starts on the big screen and, and then trickles down from there. So I, I plus not to mention, I don't think it's the end of the world to pay thirty dollars for Black Widow. Now, if you're a single guy and it's like, OK, I could go spend seventeen, eighteen dollars to see this in a movie theater, which you can or thirty dollars to watch it in the comfort of my own home maybe $30 is a little steep, you know, like you're going to go to the theater in that case. But if you're a couple, okay, now, now the movie is only 15 bucks a piece. And if you're a couple with a kid, you know, who loves the MCU, now those tickets are 10 bucks a piece, right? You're three people paying $30. So I think that it makes a lot of sense for families. I think Disney plus is obviously aimed at families. Um, and there's, and, and, and listen, that is a cheap, service relatively like you are getting enough for what you pay for each month i mean you're getting access to that library which is like endless and it's fantastic the disney library plus you're getting you know a ton of new shows usually one new you know marvel marquee show like loki if they start putting shows like loki behind the paywall that that is that could spark a real backlash but for a movie it's just the economics are different and and i don't think that disney had a choice and i i don't blame them for doing it. Um, maybe I would, if I had to pay for it, you know, like I am privileged. Like I said, last week, I, I get sc screener access to these things. Um, so, you know, ask me when I have to pay $30 to see a movie that I really want to see. Uh, and then uh, Keltrick Pickens had, I, I found two old ones and he sent two new ones. So Keltrick, we're gonna end with four questions from you, I guess, or I'm gonna try to do the best I can. Uh, question one, if you had to predict the fall of another streaming service like Quibi, which service do you see not being here in one or two years from now? Personally, I don't see how Peacock makes it. Uh, I think you're probably right about Peacock. Um, I mean, The Office is, is a great anchor uh, to have, but what like what else is there really? You have Rutherford, Rutherford Falls, Girls, Five. I love Dr. Death. I, you know, I talked about that. Um, I mean, it's, it's just a place to like find a library these days, but you know, basically in one or two years, like will, will Paramount be bought by somebody else? Will NBC Universal and Viacom merge or something like that? You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, it could be Peacock, but it could just as easily be Paramount plus like who, who is paying for, for that shit, you know, like. I guess they have Star Trek and, and The Stand and they're going to have, what, The Offer, The Miles Teller, Godfather Show. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, is that what we're talking about as far as like the major streaming services? I, I assume it's, you know, those in Amazon, Apple, HBO Max, Disney Plus, et cetera. Yeah, I think Peacock and, and Paramount Plus are probably the, the two lowest hanging fruits. Um, question two, I'm very excited about uh ta Coates' Superman movie. We know the script is due in December. Have you heard any noise about a director or a star? I'm hoping for Shaka King, Steve McQueen, or Barry Jenkins. And I hope Clyder gets that exclusive. Um, no, I haven't heard anything about a director or star. I think that if, you know, if they want a black director, they'd better move quickly because I think that Marvel is close to hiring one for Blade. Um, I don't know if a director, if they're going to cast a star first or if they're gonna pick a director and let him cast, you know? I hope it's not Shaka King. I just don't, I didn't love Judas and the Black Messiah. I mean, it showed promise and I do want him, you know, to, to do something cool. I just don't know that he's completely ready for, for to do Black Superman. Steve McQueen would be interesting. Um, you know, I don't know if, if, if I need him making those kinds of movies. Like I kind of hate to lose him to that, but I really did like Widows. Um, I think I could be pretty cool, actually. Steve McQueen, Barry Jenkins. I don't know about that one. Not really seeing him as a fit for, for Superman. Uh, Keltrick also asks, 
This question about Brian Singer. This past week, I watched Usual Suspects, X-Men, and X2. And by the time the, the credits rolled on Usual Suspects, I found myself wanting a new Singer movie as good as those three films. Not making any excuses for his behavior, but what are the chances Singer makes a comeback? Not, not good. I, I, I don't really see that happening, at least anytime soon. He is, I do think he is a, a talented director. I think Usual Suspects is an incredible movie. But uh, tough to come back from, from some of those allegations. And it's not just that stuff. It's just like his fucking general like behavior on set. And I just don't, I don't know. I, I think he'd have to, I don't think it would be a blockbuster. I don't think it'd be like a Brian Singer movie. I think he'd have to work his way back through an indie or the kind of movie that like wins awards. Like Brian Singer is obviously gay. Uh, you know, make it make it like your boy erased or something, or, or, or some type of like powerful gay coming of age drama. You know, that might be weird. But Singer making like a movie about like a young gay boy, uh, but I don't know. I, I feel like he could. Act, that, that's where he has value, where he could actually tell you know a, a, an important story like that. Um, Last question. As a massive Superman fan, we've gotten the uh, massive, sorry. It's a massive Superman fan. We've gotten the shafts in recent years. Man of Steel was over eight years ago. Led to no new franchise. Before that was Superman Returns. I'm very excited for whatever time I'm answering. Do you think this will finally be the, do you think this will finally be the movie that gives us a long overdue Superman trilogy? I do think it would be a lot harder to make a black Superman movie and then just be like, yeah, that's it. We did it. You know, we're done with it. You're not getting a sequel. You're not getting a trilogy. I mean, I assume that the movie would be successful. And I assume that just looking at like what Black Panther did, you know, um, like that movie became a phenomenon. I think a Black Superman movie would be much of the same, quite frankly, uh, as long as it turned out to be a good and, you know, they cast the right star. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that this could be something that leads to a Superman trilogy. I don't know if they have plans to integrate him into the larger DCU or if this would be exists sort of parallel to that or separately or whatever the fuck it is anyways um that's sort of where i'm at this week um is there anything else i'm just doing a quick look do 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 no there's not that's it that'll do it for the show we did a whole ton of mailbag questions this week ton of reviews we talked about trailers we talked about news we did it all and the next time that you see me this background will be gone, unfortunately, and I'll be either in a friend's apartment in Los Angeles or in my own apartment. It'll be completely empty, but hopefully uh, I'll get the posters back up on the wall and we'll, we'll have a fun background. Anyways, wish me luck. Yeah, it's going to be a crazy couple of weeks. I'm, I'm very anxious about it. I need to buy a bed, a mattress, a television, a couch. I have nothing. I was left with nothing. I was robbed and stolen from, um, basically. Uh, woo! Back to LA. It's going to be wild. I'll see you there. Take care. Have a good weekend, guys. Bye.